If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Just as there are different kinds of loneliness, there are also different kinds of encouragement that can be shared with those who need a healing touch. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at those kinds of encouragement based on the last written words of the Apostle Paul. Listen as David continues the series, Overcoming Loneliness, with the conclusion of The Lonely Soldier. You know, there's a great book that was written uh, not too long ago called Bowling Alone, and it was a study of loneliness in our culture, a blockbuster of a book. And it reminded us that even though we are connected more than ever before electronically, um, social contact, electronic contact is not, it's not prepared to give us what we need from the relationships that God designed in the Scripture. God's all about relationships. You know, he's the one who created the family. He's the one whose idea was the church. Uh, He's the one who, when he came into this world to be our Savior, didn't just show up. He came through a family. So God is into relationships. And if we don't understand that, we, we might get we might buy into the idea that it's how many people are on your social media list instead of how much time do you spend interacting with other human beings. We're talking about loneliness. Today we're going to finish up what we started on Friday as we talk about the lonely soldier. Paul was a soldier. He's in prison. He's writing his last letter that we have a record of uh, to young Timothy. And in this letter, toward the end of the fourth chapter, he unloads his loneliness, asks for his books, asks for his coat, asks for Timothy to hurry up and get there. He was suffering in prison. May I just say a word of encouragement to those of you who are listening today? You might be in prison listening. And uh, while you're surrounded by other prisoners, you're there by yourself. And at night when the lights go out in the and the... Uh, and the doors clink shut, you're by yourself, you're alone, but you're not. Because what Paul learned was that while everyone had forsaken him, God did not, and God will not forsake you. I hope you know that. We'll get to our lesson in just a moment. I do need to remind you of our special resource for the month of August. It's this beautiful 190-page hardcover book, 10 chapters providing comfort and encouragement when you feel alone. The book is called God Has Not Forgotten You. It's a beautiful, beautiful 
gift book. And we want you to have your copy. It's yours for the asking when you send a gift of any size to help with the cost of airtime and production here at Turning Point. Well, here's part two of The Lonely Soldier. Isn't it interesting that having read this epistle where Paul so strongly encourages Timothy to be bold, and where as we read the words of the text, we can feel the steel fiber in the man Paul, that here in these closing moments, we see him in his flesh and blood, a man of like nature and passions with ourselves, Although he has finished the course and he is awaiting his crown, he is still a frail human being with ordinary human needs, and he describes his plight in prison in terms you and I can understand. The disappointment of detachment. Let me hurry on to the third one. The disappointment of defection. Isn't it interesting that Not only have his friends left him, but there's one who gets a little more space in the description than the others. He's a man by the name of Demas, and we read of him here in the fourth chapter. And the Bible says that he forsook Paul because he loved the present world, and he went to Thessalonica. The desertion of Demas is obviously painful to Paul. He was one of Paul's close associates. In fact, in the other two places in the New Testament where Demas is mentioned, he is mentioned in the same verse and in context with Luke, who is the only one who is still with Paul. But now instead of being with Paul, he has defected. I find an interesting contrast in the text, for in verse 8, Paul has been talking about those who love the appearing of Christ. And in just a few sentences, now he talks about one who loves the world. A reminder to us that you can't be in love with both. And Demas made his choice. He refused to stand with Paul in his love of the Lord and his love of the coming of the Lord and chose rather to move into the world and defect from the faith. Many have felt that he defected out of cowardice because of the regime in which they lived that he faced a point in time where he could not stand it any longer, and he said, it's not worth it, I'm quitting, I'm leaving. And he went back into his lifestyle away from the ministry. Anyone who has served with someone who has walked away from the cause can identify with the pain that Paul felt. Here was a man that he counted as an associate and a friend and a supporter and an encourager, and in the moment of his need, Demas walked away and left Paul alone. The disappointment of defection. During these days of ministry, it seems like hardly a week goes by that I don't hear of someone that I know in the ministry who has defected morally, spiritually. I cannot tell you what it feels like even when my friendship with those people is distant to sense the hurt of defection. I understand how Paul felt. But then we go on in the text and we learn that his disappointment is not only due to his discomfort in the cell and the detachment that he feels from all of his friends and the defection especially of Demas, but he mentions here another man by the name of Alexander and he tells us in his story the disappointment of difficulty. In verses 14 and 15, he talks about this man, Alexander. We don't know very much about him except that his trade was that of a coppersmith or a worker in bronze. 
but we don't know his identity. There are many people in the Bible named Alexander. In fact, in the first chapter of Timothy, there's a fellow in the 20th verse by the name of Alexander, but these cannot be the same people. Though we do not know his identity, and we cannot place him historically, we do know this, that he opposed Paul. In fact, the word that is used here to describe his opposition is literally a word which means to be an informer. And many feel that Alexander was the one who informed on Paul and caused him to be rearrested and put back in prison. But he was more than an informer because the scripture says that he opposed Paul in every way. He stood up and fought against him in what he was doing and would not stand with him. He was an enemy of Paul and an enemy of the gospel and an enemy of Christ. I read a few lines written by Charles McKay who asks some questions in poetic form. He says, you have no enemies, you say? Alas, my friend, the boast is poor. He who has mingled in the fray of duty that the brave endure must have made foes. And if you have none, small is the work that you have done. You've hit no traitor on the hip. You've dashed no cup from perjured lip. You've never turned the wrong to right. You've been a coward in the fight. You can't go through life without enemies if you stand for something. And Paul discovered it all along the way. Here was a man who had turned on him and opposed him and began to create difficulty for him. And that contributed to his despair. They say it's not supposed to bother you. I hear all of the sermons at the great pastors' conferences about how we move through difficulty victoriously and that church problems and difficulties with personal relationships are just opportunities for God to test us and to demonstrate how we can live above circumstances. And it sounds great, but I want to tell you something. When there are problems in the church and among personal acquaintances and involving people that I love and know, it doesn't feel good. I don't care what anybody says. And I can imagine how Paul felt when he knew that out there was an enemy. You know, let me just share something personally. You know what's the problem? The biggest problem with somebody like Alexander, the biggest problem is that the human mind works in such a way that when there's an Alexander, if you're not careful, he becomes the whole church. Did you know that? You forget that he's just one among many. And you dwell on him and you come to church and if he's sitting in the second to the back row, you can't see anybody except Alexander back there. And you may get letters of encouragement and handshakes of fond blessing, people patting you on the back and all you can think about is Alexander. That's the tool of the devil to discourage. You know what I've discovered? I've learned a little therapy in my own life. I discovered this one day when I was going through a similar problem and there was an Alexander who was giving me fits. And I was dwelling on him and one day, absent-mindedly, I pulled the church directory out of the drawer and I opened it up and I began to read through the church directory, one name after another. Oh, thank you, Lord, for that family. And thank you, God, for this person. Before I got done, I had a praise meeting in my study, thanking God for all of the good people who weren't Alexanders. And I put him in perspective and got victory in my soul. But it's not easy to do. And I can imagine Paul sitting there in his cell and dwelling on the opposition that came to him from Alexander and feeling the hurt and discouragement and despair of it. Finally, there was the disappointment and desertion. 
verses 16 through 18, Paul references his first defense. It is a reference to his first imprisonment and that proclamation of the word to the Gentiles. And in this context, it seems to refer to some event when he stood before in a preliminary defense. Now, Roman law would never have permitted Paul to employ an advocate or to call witnesses. But the scripture says that among all the Christians in Rome, there was not even one who would stand at his side in court, either to support him by a demonstration of sympathy or to help him and advise him in the conduct of his case. The scripture says, in my defense, no one stood with me. We don't know what Paul had been charged with. We do know from history that it didn't take much ingenuity on the part of the accusers to trump up interesting things against the apostles. Sometimes they were accused of atheism because they said they worshipped the idol of Christ. Sometimes they were accused of cannibalism because they ate the Lord's Supper. Whatever they needed to do, they trumped up charges. But when Paul stood to give an account of himself, there wasn't anybody there to help him and encouragement. I think we feel the loneliness of despair most of all in those moments of crisis when we can't find anyone. It's one thing to move along in life and feel somewhat lonely in the routine of day-to-day living. But when we stand in the place of crisis and great decisions weigh heavy upon us and we need someone to help us and no one is there, those are lonely moments. And Paul described that in these words. This standing before the defense by himself had to have been Paul's Gethsemane experience. It reminds us much of the words of Christ where we read about his friends that they all forsook him and fled. So these are lonely, discouraging, despairing words from the victorious apostle. Can you put that together? Can you handle that? I hope I haven't destroyed all of 2 Timothy by these honest words from the last chapter. Friends, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it's at. But I don't want to leave you there. Because inevitably, as we study the Word of God, the seeds of the answer are found in the problem. And as we read through this last chapter, we find some very interesting insights into how we deal with discouragement and despair and disappointment in our own lives. I'd like to just share some of them with you quickly as we conclude. First of all, sometimes there are physical encouragements. Isn't it interesting that one of the things Paul says in this last chapter in verse 13 is that he would like to have his coat. You say, what in the world does he want his coat? Well, let me remind you that Paul is a human being and he's cold. It's cold in that Roman cell. And he asks for that outer garment that they wore in those times, which is sort of like a huge, heavy outer garment that keeps you from the penetrating cold of the winter where he was. And so Paul felt the need of the extra warmth of that coat. And he specifically says, please bring my coat. I think it's an interesting reminder to us that sometimes the needs that need to be met by us in the lives of other people are just physical needs. We just need to reach out to them and help them where they're hurting. I was reminded of James chapter 2, where we read these words, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things that are needful to the body, what doth it profit? 
And I can't help but think that if Paul had been experiencing what he was experiencing today and had sent word to the church, we would have promised him to put him on the prayer list on Wednesday night, but nobody would have taken him a coat. Because so often we take the needs that are on the physical realm and we elevate them to the spiritual realm and we just shoot right over the top of them when they never get met. Here was a man who felt the despair of his physical situation. And God teaches us in this passage that one of the ways we meet that need is through understanding that though we are spiritual creatures, we are still in the body. And some physical needs need to be met. How grateful I am that that has been my experience, both on the giving and receiving end. But notice, there are not only physical encouragements here, but there are personal encouragements. First of all, Paul said, Timothy, when you come, see if you can get Mark to come with you, verse 11. And Mark had been a deserter on the first missionary journey, but however, he was restored and Paul wanted to see him again. He wanted his personal friendship with Mark to be restored. But above all, Paul yearns to see Timothy. In fact, three times in the book of 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy to try and come and see him. And twice in this text, verse 9, he says, do your best to come to me soon. And then again in verse 21, do your best to come before winter. He urges Timothy, his own personal son in the faith and probably his best friend in the ministry, could you please come? I need your friendship. Isn't it interesting that the same Paul, who in verse 8 writes about his anticipation of seeing Christ, also needs a friend. Sometimes I meet super spiritual people who claim that they never feel lonely and have no need of human friends. And they say things like, Jesus is all I need and his companionship is all that's necessary. But men and women, please understand that human companionship is one of God's provisions for us. It was God who said in the beginning, it is not good that man should be alone. As wonderful as the presence of the Lord Jesus is every day, and as exciting as the prospect of his coming is, they are not intended to be a substitute for human friendship. When I started to go into the ministry, my father told me that one of the prices you pay for being a pastor is that you cannot have any friends. And I said, if that's true, I am not going to make it. I know I can't make it without friends. But you know, everybody needs not just friends in general, but one special friend. And I'm grateful that God has given me a man who cares about me, not because of what I do and where I am and what my responsibility is, but because he is my friend. And when I need somebody, I can pick up the phone and tell him what's in my heart. Everybody needs that. And isn't it interesting that Paul, the great apostle that we have put up on a pedestal and we view him as the super saint, he says, Timothy, please come. I want to see you. To whom are you a friend? And do you know the value of your friendship? Then let me just hasten on to say that he wanted mental encouragements. These were the things that would occupy his mind in the hours that he was alone before God in that cell. Probably was the Old Testament, Paul's version of the Old Testament in Greek, and perhaps some copies of the Lord's words or some early narratives of the Gospels. 
But whatever they were, Paul wanted those things to occupy his mind. You know, there isn't anything I know that is more of an encouragement to us when we're going through difficult times, apart from the Bible, than finding the right book to meet our need. I am an avid book fan. And there are books to meet our needs through the scriptures applied, no matter what that need might be. It's unfortunate that we are not a reading people. The television has taken over in our lives. I read some studies that I find very interesting, that when we watch television, we occupy a totally different mechanism than when we read. One of the reasons why we like to watch television is that it requires nothing of us. We can put our brain in neutral and watch television and get a kind of euphoric blessing out of it without occupying our attention. But I'll tell you something, you get immersed in a book that meets your need and let that book fill your life and it has a therapeutic value to your life and you discover that some of the things that were so important begin to dissipate because you've been ministered to mentally. Paul wanted to be encouraged mentally. And then last but certainly not least, there are here in this text spiritual encouragements. Verse 17, Paul says, the Lord stood with me. When everyone else deserted me, the Lord stood with me. And just note in your Bibles the phrases to describe the Lord's help. He stood with me. That's his presence. And he strengthened me. That's his power. And then he delivered me. And then he preserved me. We do not mean to discount the importance of the presence of God when we speak to the issue of personal friendship. They are not in conflict with each other. But there are moments when the presence of the Lord is everything. When our body is cold, we need a coat. When our heart is lonely, we need friends. When our mind is bored, we need books. But when our soul is hurting, we need God. And Paul stands in testimony to us today that when everyone else had forsaken him in the moment of his crisis, just as if physically in that courtroom, the Lord stood with him and helped him in his moment of despair. Sometimes, though we hope it isn't often, life takes all of the human props away. Have you noticed that? Sometimes the man or woman who lives a life of faith and is trusting the Lord, doing what is supposed to be done, discovers that there's nothing there to support him, and he's all alone. I want to share with you that the mystery of the presence of God in a life like that has kept thousands of Christians in the most bleak and dark and solitary situations on earth true to the cause of Christ. It is that presence of God that Paul speaks to in this chapter that keeps people from bending in prison cells, it keeps the heat and the sun of the jungles and the deserts from cracking them open, and the fire and the endless empty prairies and crowded metropolitans of indifferent masses from deterring them. It is the presence of Christ in their life. As someone has said, to sit with him but for a moment is to know the banishment of sorrow, the retreat of silence, the routing of depression, and the flight of emptiness. Paul has given us a moment of reality 
so that as we close our thoughts on this, his last letter, and as we recognize that he has not written again, having written these words, that we see everything in perspective. With our eyes, we look with Paul to the crown of righteousness that waits for those who love his appearing. But in our lives, we know that our feet are still on the earth, and we have to exist in this veil of tears. And God has not taken away the truth of that situation, but he has added to it the truth of what to do as a Christian when the moments of despair come. Amen. Amen. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the lonely sufferer, what it means to go through serious suffering, how alone you can feel. Hey, we're doing some things that offset loneliness. We're having some big rallies in the fall. I'll tell you that when I go to those rallies and I walk in and see all those people who love Jesus, um, several thousand people who've come to praise his name and listen to his word and be encouraged, I walk away from every one of those feeling the presence of God in my life and really filled up with a sense of his goodness. I know these have been some tough days. Uh, here's an opportunity for you to go to a pep rally. I really mean that sincerely. We're going to lift you up and encourage you and strengthen you. And uh, we're going to have a great time praising God. And there's something about gathering with thousands of Christians and lifting up your voice in praise that cannot be duplicated by any other experience. So here's where we're going to be. We hope you'll come and be with us. October the 5th in Tampa, Florida at the Yingling Center. October the 7th in Jacksonville, Florida at the Vistar uh, Memorial Auditorium. October 26th in Houston at the Berry Center. October the 28th in Fort Worth at the Dickies Arena. Tickets available at davidjeremiah.org slash tour. I hope you'll get yours. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you send us your personal story of Turning Point's impact? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, God Has Not Forgotten You, and learn to trust the Lord in times of uncertainty. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Overcoming Loneliness here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. The English philosopher Francis Bacon likened some men to the fly sitting on the axle of a chariot who said, What a cloud of dust I have raised. 
That would be like a crowing rooster taking credit for the sun coming up every morning. Sometimes we take credit far more than we should. In the final analysis, there is very little for which we deserve credit. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans that all things in life are of God and through God and to God, to whom all glory is due forever. That leaves precious little for us to boast about. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover why God is worthy of glory on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.